listening to the CIPD podcast series. These days, social media is part and parcel of the fabric of our lives. It's connected us to our friends, families and current events in ways we couldn't have imagined even a decade ago. But at work, the impact of social media and its use has been less clear-cut. Some organisations jumped on the bandwagon straight away. Others were more reluctant and some still see the whole thing as a total waste of time. In the early days, many employees were banned outright from using the likes of Facebook and Twitter at work. But this is changing fast now and more and more organisations are beginning to understand the real potential of social media in the workplace. In this podcast, we're going to be asking how organisations are making social media work for them and what HR's role should be, both as individual professionals developing careers and as leaders of the social media revolution in-house. Let's kick off with an outfit that's really embracing social media, the publisher's Random House. Here's the HR director, Neil Morrison. Our approach is is what I would describe as organic, and so we've got a large number of Twitter accounts for individuals, for brands, for companies, and they'll use it in very different ways. So children's books, for example, we'll be engaging with lots of bloggers that are interested in kids' books. We use it uh, for authors, sharing news about what's being published, where they're touring, or even things like Stardoll, which is a social networking site for teenage girls, where we published a book into Stardoll. Uh, completely free, so it was a chapter a day, had a massive reaction following the characters, talking about the characters, etc, etc. And then obviously that leads into traditional publishing ventures. Interesting. So you're using it to directly market, tell people stuff that's happening, but also to generate chat, comment, buzz. Absolutely. So children's books get bloggers together every now and then and they'll show them what they're planning on. They'll ask them their thoughts around you know, what they prefer, which jackets they prefer. Uh, So it's very much two-way rather than just this kind of transmit, transmit, transmit of information to people. Social media infiltrates almost every part of Random House. It's woven into their mindset. But of course, not everyone's at that stage yet. And many other organisations are dubious about exactly how social media might enhance their business. Richard Sedley is Director at Customer Experience Consultancy Foveance, as well as being the course director for social media at the Chartered Institute of Marketing. Through his many big brand clients, he's gained a very clear understanding of the way companies are approaching social media now. Uh, In my experience, most of the organisations I deal with have um, a kind of superficial enthusiasm towards it. Most organisations have decided they want to embrace social media, and then when they actually come to doing the main uh, nitty-gritty element of it, they have some real problems with that. Sometimes it's around the governance. Usually it's around how the fact that they're not set up internally in order to be able to take advantage of these things. They're often caught completely unawares. I've worked with a number of clients that have come to me saying, we want to start to work in the social media space. How do we step into it? Uh, We're not doing anything at the moment. And then they're completely bowled over by the fact that actually they're already there and they had no idea normally in a couple of different ways. Firstly, because most of their staff are probably doing stuff anyway. And then secondly, if you take something like LinkedIn as an example, you only need three people from your company to be on LinkedIn and you have a profile page as a company. And most of the companies don't even know that. And so therefore you've got this kind of dead space, but also an opportunity they're not taking advantage of. It seems pretty old-fashioned to be banning employees from using sites like Facebook or Twitter during working hours. 
Some organisations still do it, but in Richard's view, life is so saturated with social media now that trying to ban it from the workplace is pointless. The reality is that what happens is you then push things outside of your control. So you push things onto smartphones, for example. So I was working with a financial services bank that was saying none of our staff are allowed to comment in social media on any of the financial discussions. We did a quick piece of research, we showed them actually they are. And then they said, well, they're probably doing it in their own time. And then you look at the date stamps on this stuff and it's actually during the day. And all of this stuff is occurring during the day via smartphones and completely outside of the control of a lot of the the businesses. So the debate has been forcibly moved on from one of control and containment and a growing number of organisations are rethinking their acceptable usage policy and freeing up their employees to use social media as they see fit. For example, the New York Times social media policy is short and sweet, reading simply, don't be a moron. Now that might be apocryphal, but it neatly makes the point that nowadays it's got to be about educating and then trusting people to behave sensibly. Here's Neil Morrison from Random House. So we don't have a strategy. We don't say this is how it's going to be done and this is what it's going to be, you know, this is why you're going to use it and how you're going to use it. What we do is we educate people, so we provide them with the the understanding of how the tools work. You then provide them with open usership, so we don't ban sites, we have free Wi-Fi so people can use it on their smartphones, etc. And then allow them to experiment and understand that sometimes things will go wrong and that's okay and you don't suddenly close down the barriers. So you don't have any boundaries at all? We don't have any boundaries. We have legal guidelines so we explain to people what the legal context is but we don't have any boundaries around usage. I'm a great believer if you trust people they generally do the right thing and you know our business is one that is moving into digital at a rate of knots so not engaging with social media would be just foolish. and so teaching people and enabling them to use it themselves is, is the only way to go. We can't control it. You can't control social media. Informer is a conference and niche publishing company working for the maritime, legal and insurance industries. Alison Chisnell is HR Director for Business Information, one of the two large publishing divisions. She's part of a team introducing social media right across the company. Informer as a whole, I would not say is a trailblazer for social media, but what we have been doing, which has been quite effective, is just been really open-minded about it. So we've let people access it. We and Twitter to Facebook to LinkedIn. We've encouraged people to to use it, particularly to gain more community feel around the various publications and that's been quite successful albeit in quite a sort of small scale way so we've sort of dabbled dipped our toe in the water if you like particularly around finding out how we can kind of maximize the sort of benefit of it but we've still got quite a long way to go I think. Alison hasn't been using social media in a professional capacity for that long but already she's an emphatic evangelist. I use it to network with other people very strong networking community and particularly on Twitter, there's a because it uses hashtags, it's a hashtag called Connecting HR, um, which is quite a vibrant HR community and collective, um, which is a great thing to be involved in. I also use it to research information, to keep up to date. I read a lot of blogs. There are quite a few HR blogs out there, both here and in the US. It's a really great way of finding out bite-sized information that's really relevant and up-to-date. And you are on transmit mode, aren't you? You have a blog yourself. I do have a blog, yes. Why do you do that? I never thought I would do it. The main reason why I started to do it was because I wanted to 
find my voice really and it sounds a very strange thing to say but I have found through the process of articulating for writing things down and articulating things that I've been considering and thinking about it's also been a great way of having other people interact with those thoughts adding to them and you know I get lots of comments that are often far better than the actual blogs themselves and how does your employer feel about it they're They're very happy I mean in fairness with any of these things I'm always very mindful you have to be mindful you have to be mindful about what you tweet you have to be mindful about what you write about in a blog I would never write anything in my blog that I wouldn't be happy to for my CEO to read or for you know any of my other colleagues or any other employee to read. Like Alison Neil Morrison leads by example too he also has his own blog posting ideas issues thoughts and conundrums online. I like to see the debates that start from ideas And I think there's one thing expressing views. We can all do that. When you put a view out into the public domain, what you find is that you have people who build on it, people who challenge it, people who completely disregard it. um, And then that educates you. It educates other people that read it. It helps you hone your thinking. And I think that's that's all good personal development. It's, It's not about profile. I, don't, I think there are much easier ways to get profile than writing a blog. You can go and speak at conferences, you can you know, go and write for the magazines or whatever it is. It, it's more about the community conversation that then develops around a piece. And that can be on a blog, it can be on Twitter. I had a fantastic conversation about national minimum wage this week on Twitter, which in 140 characters isn't easy. <laughs> um, but for me, I think it's a way that I develop myself and it's a way that I can contribute to a conversation that other people are having as well. Social media offers us all a free platform for knowledge sharing. Neil and Alison's blogs are obvious examples of this. Both of them focus on collaboration and information sharing. It crosses cultural boundaries, it crosses international boundaries, so I know a lot of people in the US who have very different ideas, very different issues, some ahead of us, some behind us. And so, yes, it breaks everything down between companies, between cultures, between countries. Quite apart from what Random House does as a business, do you find this collaborative approach improves systems and activities within the company so that people solve each other's problems because they're collaborating across social media networks? Absolutely, and I've seen this, I mean, particularly within the HR field where people have got questions and you respond, yes, I can help you with that, or they need a... anything from a simple policy, has anyone got a policy on X, Y, and Z, through to how would you manage this circumstance, what would you do in this situation? And you've got available uh, a whole field of people there who can give you their views or insight. A lot of lawyers are on Twitter as well. You You can get some pretty good free legal advice from people in situations, so yeah. I mean, this seems to be a big benefit that people are really using a great deal, and this is across all industries and all countries, this kind of open source, there's lots of good information out there, lots of good people who will tell you stuff for free. I mean, obviously, there are quality issues around that, I suppose, aren't there? But it's handy. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it's the same as if you go to the pub and ask people, you, you, you know, where would you go to have your car serviced? You're going to get different views and you're going to get different opinions and you need to make a choice on that. But I think that the 
ability to have that conversation. There's sites like Focus in the US where you can ask a question and experts come and give you an answer on it. You can then decide what you do with that information, but it's not going to harm you to get different views and different opinions. Although Twitter has passed the 100 million users mark, it's still quite misunderstood. But Alison Chisnell has had a bit of a Twitter epiphany of late. It's been quite a revelation for me, really, in the last year or so, of how Twitter can be very useful and beneficial on a professional level. So I think a lot of people still kind of associate it with celebrities tweeting and it being very kind of fluffy. And there's plenty of that going on. I would be, uh, you know, lying to say otherwise. But actually, there's a lot of professional organisations, a lot of professionals who are really using it to communicate to each other. And a lot of HR people as well. There's a very strong HR community on Twitter. As Alison says, you can find this community by typing in hashtag ConnectingHR into Twitter and you'll find her right there. Using social media like Twitter, LinkedIn and all the rest has two big benefits. Firstly, of course, you can develop your company's reputation. And secondly, there's a strong element of personal development. And if you leave one role, you can take your network along to the next and so forth right over your career. It's been quite interesting to see where people have been looking for other roles that they often get a lot of support particularly from the HR community on Twitter that you know they will and the connecting HR community that they will you know they'll tweet out about the individuals who are looking for roles they'll you know use their own network of contacts Um, and certainly when I've been recruiting HR people I've also um, tweeted about it and I've had some good CVs through from my Twitter contacts and I haven't yet made my first social media hire but that's you know, I had, I had a couple that went through to second interview. So uh, it was it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. <laughs> You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Making this work for your company doesn't have to be all about the big social networks like Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn. It can be much closer to home. On the company intranet, for instance. At Aviva, they're using social media within their internet discussion forums to speed up internal company processes. Here's Richard Sedley. They've got some low-level innovation happening in there in a very insightful and kind of useful way. I was talking to someone I know there who was giving me an example of how someone was complaining on the forums about the people directory, saying that I can find the person and then there's kind of four or five clicks before I can actually get to their email address and then there's another four clicks before I can get to their telephone number. Someone within the IT team saw this the next day replied to the post saying I stayed late last night and I've adjusted that and then suddenly it's changed. So collaboration. Exactly but if you'd imagine that in a more formal process they'd have had to put a change request going through it would have gone through up one line manager across the organization down another line manager and the whole thing could have taken a max you know a minimum I would have thought of a month if not Um, a couple of years to to action those kind of things because they kind of get lost in the soup of other projects. Social media is proving transformative for many organisations, but there can be downsides. I asked Richard to give me the pros and cons. The more immediate pros are you can scale quickly. I think you can amplify. Um, I think you can... Uh, engage with audiences both internally and externally to your organization in a way that you maybe haven't been able to do before. So if you're looking for change, then I think it can be a very good thing. If you're thinking about the downside to this, it might be the case that individuals within your organization begin to get profiles and then they move on. So being able to make sure that you manage individual profiles and in relation to the overall company brand, I think, is important. I think 
unless stuff is managed properly, you can have some PR disasters. Uh, there's a number of organizations that have had a, um, all sorts of different problems with this kind of stuff. But really, most of those, to me, seem to be about that they haven't got in place either physical or just policy structures which prevent some of these things from happening. Random House has freed up their social media policies and everyone is encouraged to have a go and explore the options, but the freedom can come at a price. The downside is that sometimes people don't quite use it in the way that you'd want. So an example would be they're tweeting as a brand, but they can come across as a person instead of the brand. And, and, you know, you can get that confusion between what they're really there for. So if you're tweeting as Jonathan Cape, for example, then people are following you because they're interested in Jonathan Cape, not necessarily the person that's tweeting behind the scenes. It's the brand, not the person. That's right. Whereas if I'm tweeting as Neil Morrison, people are following me because it's Neil Morrison, not because it's necessarily Random House HR director. So that is about training, isn't it? Education. It's education. It's education. And that's absolutely critical. They have a similar issue at Informa, and as a result, they've put in place some informal guidelines. Where the debate has moved away from control, and I think rightly so, what we have found as an organisation is that we need some policies in place, albeit light-touch policies, that just help us to maintain our own intellectual property, really. So that, for example, if somebody has set up a LinkedIn group that is very much um, around a certain publication, if they've done it, for example, in their own name, well, when they leave and if they go to a competitor, they can't really take it with them. We we need to have some rules around it that it belongs to a company. So how, our company. how do you police that? We've got some guidelines in place. So, for example, in that particular circumstance, we have some guidelines around if it is connected to a certain publication, then it's not done in an individual's name, it's done in the publication's name. There will always have to be two users who have the pass words to it and have the access to it there's just some kind of common sense guidelines really that just mean that it's not all about the individuals it's in certain cases it's around the publications but there's obviously a line that has to be drawn it's interesting you mentioned this because this has cropped up before in the course of our conversations around social media this business of being very clear about who is talking Mm, that's true whether it's an individual or whether it's the organization and indeed the issue of who people respond to from outside the organisation. So if you're the person who is actively blogging, actively tweeting, they'll come to you. Mm-hmm. But of course, you may not be the most senior person. So have you come across issues there that it's it's slightly unsettling the hierarchy at work at all? I mean, there is an element of, of that. I do think that people seem, the people that I have met seem fairly cognizant of the fact that we all operate in our own organisational hierarchies and that just because they've heard of one person that doesn't necessarily mean they run the whole show. So how to get your arms around this if it all feels a bit big and scary? Well first a warning many organisations have jumped on the bandwagon without knowing what they're trying to achieve. They ask people to follow them on Twitter they've got the Facebook page but as Richard explained that just isn't enough. There's the kind of classic example of we need a Twitter strategy And so therefore it normally gets given to the person who is the most experienced, which tends to often be the youngest person uh, in the room. And in those kind of circumstances, it's hardly surprising that some of these things are a little bit kind of directionless and uh, you often have a few of the kind of mistakes that take place. I mean, personally, I don't think you even need a social media strategy. Wouldn't be upset with having a customer strategy or a marketing strategy, you know, any of those kind of things. I think social media in the same sort of way as the telephone is used could be part of those things. Who has a telephone strategy? 
probably none of us, right? So um, I think the ability to be able to bring social media into the kind of business processes is um, it's probably a necessity now. Should organisations be looking at specific areas in terms of, you know, they should be looking at recruitment, direct marketing, brand management, whatever it is, and then thinking, how can we use social media? How can we integrate social media into all that? Or should it be the other way around? Should they be looking at social media and saying, how can I use Facebook? Um, I think you, pretty much all of these things, if I'm honest, I would start with a digital and social media approach to begin with. So start with the people that you're currently interacting with. Um, and that's from marketing perspective to employment to recruitment, could be any number of these areas. That doesn't mean that the thing that you end up with in terms of a campaign, for instance, in recruitment, is going to end up just in the digital space. But I've seen so many times people put recruitment campaigns and then say, you know what, we could do something in social media. You know what, we could do something with digital. Uh, and that's every time it goes wrong as a result of that because people haven't thought through um, how they're going to integrate things. So I would say start with the digital space, start with the social media space and build out your campaign from that. For people who aren't deep into social media as users right now, they'll listen to this and think this sounds huge. How do I get my arms around this? How do I, how do I monitor? How do I make sure my people are doing what they should be doing? How do I see what the advantage of my business is? How do they do that? Are we talking about a, a whole department now that organisations will need to keep across this, or is this something that everyone needs to be trained to do within the organisation? I think everyone needs to understand ele certain elements of it. So most, training most is key. So I'd say training is definitely key. Um, I think that uh, it's some of the examples that are in other businesses, and what you're starting to see with a number of businesses is they're starting to share the examples of where stuff went wrong. So I think there's a kind of learning process of how to do things and how not to do things. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of education in these kind of situations. Not everyone is going to want to be constantly interacting on different types of social media. But I think that we need to understand that the way we do business is becoming more social. HR needs to consider its own rules and responsibilities in this. Here's Richard Sedley. If you want to be a player in this space inside your organisation, then you have to be someone who embraces it. You're some, you have to be someone who is at the forefront of thinking how to do things. You have to be a leader, is really so what I'm saying. So HR need to educate themselves? They area. need to educate themselves and they need to be in a position where they embrace those within an, their organisation who have already taken a lead and become their allies, really. HR people um, should play a very different role in social media than the normal role. Neil Morrison. So they can be seen as the controllers, the police, the enforcers. And I actually think they should be the engagers, the educators, the encouragers when it comes to social media. And you can't do that unless you know what's going on. Because other people will be uh, thinking that you somehow don't understand or are behind the curve. And if you've got, you know, we have... 1,200 people um, in the UK, almost all of them will be on some form of social media or will interact with some form of social media. So that's your entire workforce. So of course you've got to understand what's going on and of course you've got to, to follow the developments because otherwise how can you educate people about it in the business? So making sure that people understand the latest developments, they understand the basic skills of usage. You know, it's, it's amazing. There's, I don't know, what is it, half a billion users on Facebook or whatever it is, and yet some people will sit at it and just not know where to go. So you've got to help them to understand how to do it, not just take it as a, 
as a, a done deal that everyone knows, and we have an older generation who might not be as comfortable with the ideas of social media and the fact that information's out there. Yes, I was going to ask you that, because I'm presuming there is an age divide here, because no one under the age of 35 needs to be told how to use social media, do they? Well, I think they do, actually. Do I, I think they do. I think there is a split. I, I was looking at a statistic on Twitter's growing users are an older demographic rather than a younger demographic. Yes, it's 100 million members, isn't it, on Twitter? Now? It's incredible. I think where, whatever age you are, whatever stage you are, there's nothing wrong with actually refreshing your skills. Sure enough, Alison has got her work cut out for her. She's been training people at all levels of the organisation. We train them on setting up blogs, um, particularly the marketers we train on social media, and that's starting to seep through other parts of the organisation too. And actually, very recently, my CEO asked me to see if I could deliver some training to the board on using Twitter and social media, which is quite, uh, quite interesting. I haven't done it yet, but it'll be quite exciting to do. Though publishing is clearly ahead of the curve when it comes to using social media, this is a revolution that's likely to impact on every single sector with big potential to enhance business. Neil Morrison. I absolutely believe there's no plan B. It's happening. And I was looking at a, a statistic that there's something like in an hour, 5,000 new blogs start up in, on average in every hour. So there is a tide that you can't stop. The technology will change and maybe the technology will develop. But the concept of people creating and sharing content on the internet isn't going to go away. As always, please go to the show notes for further information on our speakers and the topics we've discussed at cipd.co.uk forward slash podcasts. If you'd like to delve deeper into all this, we're holding our own social media conference on 7th December in London. You can find details on the website cipd.co.uk. If you're interested in continuing the debate, visit the CIPD communities page and the LinkedIn discussion group. Next time, we'll be looking at the future challenges facing the HR profession in 2012 and the impact of the Olympics. Join me then. You're listening to the CIPD podcast series.